Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try it this way. He is risen. There you go. Such a joy to worship with all of you today. I do want to say this before I go any further. I just wanted to uh, personally thank the entire group of people that have been working nonstop for us to be able to have this weekend. There's a whole lot of things that go on every Sunday here behind the scenes. One of the things that we say here at Fellowship Greenville a lot is we serve with no expectation of return. And uh, I've just seen that time and time again over the course of this weekend. On Friday night, we packed in here a thousand people for a good Friday service, which was awesome. When I left at nine o'clock, there were still people trying to get things slipped around so that we could start having Easter services yesterday in the middle of a monsoon. And there's parking lot people out there and the cops were serving us in all their rain gear yesterday, and we had two really full services, and now again today. And so I'm just thankful for the team that works so diligently and serves with such joy, and uh, I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to be able to say that. Thank you so much. Thank you. If we, uh, if we have not had the chance to meet before, my name is Jason, and I'm, uh, I'm one of the guys on the team here at Fellowship Greenville, and I did want to say to you, if you are a guest, thank you so much for joining us. We know that there are a lot of places that you could be, even on an Easter Sunday, and so we never take it for granted that you're here with us, whether it be for this service or the regular services we have on Sunday or any time that we get together. I'm thankful to be here because I had a, a, I had a, a near-death experience. Um, just 10 days ago, and I didn't know if I would uh, be here, and so I wanna share that story with you, and it has nothing to do with Easter, but it was a great story, and so I'll try to maybe tie it in. Uh, tie Easter in. I, uh, I took my first ever trip 10 days ago to uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, lovely place, uh, incredibly cold uh, for the end of March, and I told them about how uh, miserable it was there in regards to temperature, only to come home and experience what we're experiencing here in April, so shame on me for saying that to them. Anyway... Uh, the people were really nice and the food was really delicious. And I was there meeting uh, with some pastors from the Midwest and we were talking about the Upstate Church Collective, which is something that we have started here. And we were talking about discipleship and leadership and church planting. And I love talking about those kinds of things. It was supposed to be a really quick trip. We were gonna go on Tuesday. We were gonna come back on Thursday. I was with a couple of pastors, buddies of mine from Summit Church here in town. Well, we have a great time. And then we get on our plane in Omaha to head home on Thursday late afternoon. And, uh, and we have to connect through Detroit. And so it's just gonna be an 80 minute flight. And uh, we take off and we reach our cruising altitude, nothing out of the uh, ordinary. I, f- I fly a good bit, reach our cruising altitude. I'm minding my own business, just looking out the window, listening to the new Luke Combs album. And uh, I just noticed that we seem to be uh, banking a little more than we should be banking. Like once you get to cruising altitude, it's pretty much a straight shot till you get to your destination and then you got to get in the landing line, you know, and that's a lot of banking. But I thought we were banking a little too much for my liking. Now I got to be honest with you, I had just finished watching the Netflix Malaysian Flight 370 documentary. <laughs> so I've been fascinated by that ever since it happened. So I'm thinking we're probably headed to the Indian Ocean right now. And uh, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. Uh, anyway, moments later, uh, the pilot, he comes on the speaker and he says, uh, he says this. These were his words. He said, um, <clears throat> we have a hydraulic issue with the plane and we're going to be making an emergency landing at the closest airport. We will do our best to get every one of you on the ground safely. Yeah, I would expect you to be doing your best up there <laughs> to get us where we need to go. Like personally, I, you know, I either needed less information or more information in that moment 
I'm not into aviation, but I do know that hydraulic issue <laughs> could be uh, brakes, flaps, flight control, landing gear, fairly essential things for, you know, flight. <laughs> Pilot says we're gonna land in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, and that's the closest airport. Well, after about uh, 10 minutes or so, I think to myself, we're still banking a lot. And so I pull out my phone, and it's still an airplane mode. I was obeying the rules. But if you pull it out, uh, you can actually see your, your little map, and you can see your little blue dot of where you are. You can, you can see where you are in the world. And, uh, and so what I notice is uh, we actually aren't flying towards Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We're flying away from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And that's when I start to have the freak out moment in my mind, like, oh, it's the landing gear. And they have no idea how they're gonna land this plane. And they're just flying around these cornfields until they come up with a plan. And I've seen those YouTube videos where they're landing planes on foam out there. Have you seen those? Don't watch them, it's horrible. Anyway, Pilot actually comes back on after we've flown around for a little while, and he says, uh, this is what he said, he said, there's nobody at the Cedar Rapids, Iowa airport to receive our plane at 7 p.m. What a great place to live. You think we ought to just go ahead and knock off work? Yeah, I think we call it a day. What if there's an emergency and some plane leaves? Ah, never gonna happen, and so they're gone. So now we're headed to Des Moines. Uh, also a lovely place. And we land obviously with no issues, I'm here. But it's also obvious that we're not gonna be getting to Detroit in time to catch our connection home. And so we're put up in a lovely Holiday Inn that was obviously crushing it in the 1970s. <laughs> and they are still holding on. Like the decor is from the 1970s, it's everywhere. Like I totally expected Clark Griswold and Cousin Eddie to come walking out of any of the rooms. It's like three stories, indoor pool with the balconies wrapped all the way around. You know what I'm talking about? Fantastic. The Holiday Inn was also hosting a daughter of the Daughters of the American Revolution celebration. That again, just observationally, had several ladies that were alive during the American Revolution. They were taking part. Wearing a lot of pins and a lot of medals. I don't know if any of y'all are into that, but it looked like maybe that's the reason your posture is not great right now. Like it was really, anyway. We got rebooked, which is not an easy process for the next day. And they uh, tell us what we're gonna do the next day is we're gonna fly to Atlanta, then we're gonna fly on to Greenville. We're gonna get in at about 4.30, so that's not horrible. Well, when we get to the airport that morning, Friday morning there in Des Moines, they say, sorry, wanna let you know that the flight from Atlanta to Greenville later this afternoon has already been canceled for today because of course it has. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna fly you through Detroit and then we're gonna fly you on home, but you're not gonna be getting home until uh, midnight. And so that's when we said, well, uh, what if we just get on the plane to Atlanta since that plane seems to be working and when we get to Atlanta, we'll figure it out. Because that's what a lot of us think, isn't it? Like when we're flying somewhere, what we always think in the back of our mind is if we get to Atlanta, we'll just figure it out. And we got to Atlanta and tried to figure it out and it wasn't that easy to figure out, to be honest with you. Because what you might be thinking is, why don't you just rent a car one way and head it on home? Well, that's what we tried to do. And I wanna let you know that 13 rental car companies at the Atlanta airport all looked at us and said, not gonna happen. We only have a certain amount of cars that we let go one way and we've already let those go for the day. And so we, the three of us, wound up Ubering home. I know. Interestingly enough, if this ever happens to you, and maybe this is the point of the story for you, it's more affordable than you think. You should really check into it. And there, in the midst of being driven home by a kind Uber driver, I worked on my Easter message. That's the tie-in. I was sitting in the back seat just on my iPad. That's it. Just wanna tell you the story. Hydraulic issues. That's like a big deal. Last night I told the story and uh, I got a, got a text uh, from a pilot and he just said, you know, a hydraulic issue, like that's, uh, that's the, the lifeline of the old airplane. So you're lucky to be alive. I said, thanks, I appreciate that. Anyway, 
Flight is uh, one of the many things that you can be amazed by and yet not have the faith to experience. Many people, maybe you, maybe this is your story, you're not interested in getting on a plane. I know people like that. They go, I'm not flying. Like you could look at a plane and you can think, isn't it amazing that this thing made of titanium and steel and aluminum with lots of hydraulics can hurl you through the air from one destination to another? It's amazing, but I'm not putting my faith in it. I'm not getting on one of those. I remember actually thinking that uh, years ago, I was at the beach um, with my family and one night we went down to the boardwalk where they have kind of all the sketchy rides that you can get on. I don't know if I wanna put my faith in that. Well, my wife and my sister decide they wanna get on one of those um, human slingshot things. You know what I'm talking about? Like 50 or 60 feet up in the air and you basically lay on a, lay, lay on a foam mat and then they just kind of shoot you through the sky. They did it and I was amazed, but I w- was no way that I was gonna get on that. I didn't have the faith As I've pastored throughout the years, uh, 25 years now, I've interacted with a lot of people who are curious and intrigued, even amazed by Jesus and his invitation to follow him, but they've never moved from amazement to actually following Jesus. You see, what we celebrate on this day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not simply something to be amazed by, although it is amazing, It's meant to actually alter and rearrange and shape and define and anchor your life. It does actually change everything, a phrase that we say a good bit, but it's not a phrase just because we needed a phrase. It shapes how we walk through life here and now and all of eternity. And that has been the story experienced by person after person who weren't simply amazed by a resurrected Jesus, but they put their faith in him and they followed him We actually even see that with those that Jesus first interacted with after walking out of the tomb on that resurrection morning. And when I think of our current cultural moment, I often observe plenty of people, maybe this is you, who you're amazed by Jesus, you like Jesus, you're cool with Jesus, yet you're not being changed by Jesus because you're not following Jesus. But it's only Jesus that through the power of the resurrection, what this is all about today, what we're celebrating today, That's the only thing that can actually save us, change us, and transform us. Now, here's what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, Jason, you don't know my situation. You don't quite know my hesitation in following Jesus. And you're right, I don't. It would be impossible for me to know everybody's situation. But John, who was one of Jesus's closest friends, he he followed Jesus. He tells us of a few people, himself included, And he tells of their situation. And when you read about the power of the resurrection, again, what we celebrate today, it moved all of those people that Jesus was interacting with. It moved them from one place to another place. And maybe, just maybe, that's the reason that you're here today. Maybe you're here today amazed yet unmoved in regards to following Jesus with your life. But you also might be here and amazed is not the word that you would use. You've got a a range of emotions that are all legitimate to your situation. Maybe this Easter weekend finds you full of grief and sorrow. It's a hard season. Maybe this Easter weekend finds you full of anxiousness, fear. Maybe this resurrection season finds you full of doubt about life and God and if there is a God and if he did, then why would he love me, care about me and my situation? I want us to look at John 20. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. It'll also be on the screen this morning. Earlier, our worship team read the resurrection account from Matthew's Gospel. But John also writes about it. 
And actually where I wanna pick up in the story is where Jesus starts having some conversations with those that he loved right after the resurrection. And here's what I believe we'll see. Time and time again, the beauty and the power of the resurrection is so much more than amazing. It has implications for all of life. It speaks to where you find yourself today, no matter where you find yourself. And it has the power to move you from amazed by Jesus to following Jesus. From grief and sorrow to joy in Jesus. From fear and anxiousness to peace in Jesus. From doubt to belief in Jesus. Because he really does change everything. This is what it says in John 20. I'll start reading in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. We'll stop there for a second. I'll give you a little bit of background on Mary because I don't want to assume that you know anything about Mary or how much you know about Mary. She'd been following Jesus for some time. You can read more about her in Luke's gospel in chapter eight. Uh, she had had seven demons cast out of her. So again, I don't know your situation, but that was her situation. And that is quite the situation. It's not an overstatement to say that Jesus had transformed her life. Jesus had set her free in every way possible. And so it makes sense that she would be at the tomb and not just that she would be at the tomb on that morning, but that she would be there full of grief and anguish and sorrow. She's there that morning obviously thinking he's dead. She's sobbing. Why exactly is she there? Well, we read in Mark and Luke that she's doing the customary thing of bringing burial spices because bodies decompose. I also think that she's there simply to be close to what's familiar. To be close to someone she loved and someone that had loved her, that had set her free. And here's why I think this is relatable to some of us that are in the room today. You've lost someone you love to the sting and the heartbreak of death. Like you get this emotion that Mary feels. You can identify with desiring something to feel like it once felt, because I liked how it used to feel. The longing to be near, like you longed for the, the familiar that gave you comfort and gave you joy. It's why on occasion you go and sit by a grave of a loved one and maybe have a conversation and place flowers. Some of you will do that today. You do that on Easter weekend. Well, on that first resurrection day, this is where we find Mary and she is full of sorrow and she is full of grief. And you can relate to that, many of you in the room. You might not be able to relate to this next part. She talks with a few angels and then this is what transpires. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. So in the midst of her grief and sorrow and confusion, there's Jesus, a gardener to her. And, and, and Jesus continually had to reintroduce himself in his resurrected state to people, don't quite recognize him. But the way he does this, the way Jesus does this with Mary is so cool. He does it by simply saying, Mary. 
And her heart in that moment, it leaps because she knows the resurrected Jesus is standing right in front of her. It makes me think of earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, where Jesus had said these words, my sheep know my voice. The only thing that could swallow up the deep despair in Mary's heart was the resurrected Jesus. And so she does what her heart longed to do all along. She grabs him and she hugs him. She intends to never let go of him. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. (laughs) I love what Jesus says here and I don't want you to miss it because this isn't some like uh, just practical instruction. Hey, don't hug me. Like that's not, that's not the point. It's a statement of fulfillment actually because, well, the resurrection that allows Mary's sorrow to be turned into lasting joy, like that's the same for her as it is for the disciples. It's the same for you. It's the same for me in 2023 if we follow Jesus. It's the same for all of those of your loved ones that have gone on before you if they follow Jesus. And Jesus gently and lovingly reminds her, you know, Mary, you can't keep me here. He's helping her recall, even in this moment, what he had been teaching all along before his death and before his resurrection, right? That the spirit, the helper was coming because Jesus was gonna go to the Father, to his rightful place. But he says something that's so good here. And I want us just to look at it for a moment in verse 17. He says these four words. Go tell my brothers. Why is it that only Jesus can turn our grief and sorrow into inexpressible, everlasting joy? Here's why. Because in overcoming death and sin and the enemy of this world and walking out of that tomb, like what we're, what we're celebrating today is that he finished the work of making those that call upon his name children of God. That's the good news for you and for me and for Mary on this resurrection day. It's the first time in the Gospel of John that the disciples are called Jesus' brothers. How cool is that? And this fulfillment of what you read in the very first chapter of John's Gospel, that those who believe he will give them right to become the children of God. That's what this is about. Let me read it for you from from the first part of, of, of John. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's Jesus. He, I'll just do this throughout so you know, he, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him, Jesus. Yet the world did not know him, Jesus. He, Jesus, came to his own, to Jesus' own, and his own people, Jesus' own people, did not receive Jesus. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Like this was now resurrected Jesus. This is now Mary's reality and it's the disciples' reality and it's your reality and it's what we're so stinking excited about today. Anybody and everybody who follows Jesus is their reality. We are adopted sons and daughters 
And in that simple statement to Mary, go to my brothers, Jesus says, you will now have joy forevermore. It's a sonship that only Jesus could give. In his resurrection, those of us who were orphaned by our own sin and separated from God through our disobedience are now, because of the perfect sacrifice and obedience of Jesus, we're made, this is incredible news, we're made co-heirs. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. We're a part of God's family. From momentary sorrow to everlasting joy because of the power of the resurrection. From orphaned to adopted because of the power of the resurrection, from alone to a child of the king, because of what we're celebrating here today, it changes everything. One author, Sinclair Ferguson, he said it this way, I thought it was so good, he said, we are adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, in which he paid all of our obligations to sin and the law and the devil, in whose family we once lived. Our old status lies in the tomb. Our new status is ours through his resurrection. And that's so good. But wait, there's more. Jesus doesn't just talk with Mary. He talks with some other people. Here we go, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. <clears throat> Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to him again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even now I'm gonna send you guys. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit and if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. So another interaction after walking out of that tomb, not just with Mary, but now with the disciples, the brothers that she was supposed to go tell that she went and told. And one of the things that I love as I observe and I read about Jesus is that he always seems to meet people exactly where they are. So maybe even some of you today, you resonate with the season of sorrow that Mary found herself in on that resurrection morning. But perhaps like the disciples, these words meet you in a season of fear, a season of anguish uh, and anxiousness, a season of a bunch of question marks. Well, the resurrected Jesus speaks to that too. If you look back at verse 19, the tone of this meeting, this gathering with the disciples before Jesus shows up, it isn't one of celebration. Did you catch what it said? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Again, I know sometimes if you go back and you read a biblical account and you read a story, for some of you, it's easy to put yourself in there in that moment. For others of you, it's a little more difficult, but imagine what it would have been like to be there. One way I could talk about that is uh, they are not together proclaiming, Resurrection Sunday, baby, woo, this is awesome. Let's get on some pastel colors, look like an azalea bush in honor of the masters. They aren't having that conversation. They're not doing group photos. It's not a real big meal after a worship service and we're gonna have some fried chicken and some macaroni and cheese and deviled eggs because obviously the devil's been defeated. It's not this. It, do, it, it didn't look like this. Everybody comes in and they sing the songs and they, woo, hands up. Or, oh, I don't like that song. Is Peter preaching again? He talks so long. Oh, it's none of that. They're not rejoicing over what Jesus has accomplished. They are afraid. Tangible, palpable, Real life, 
fear. The Jewish leaders have crucified their king, the one that they had left everything to follow after. So in their minds, their death is inevitable and it could happen at any moment, thus the door being locked. Their thoughts are anxious, fearful thoughts, consumed with the unknown of what might happen next. And without any notice and without any invitation and without anybody opening a door, Jesus, not a spirit, not some mystical being, the resurrected Jesus comes in and stands among them and the first thing out of his mouth is, peace be with you. How great is that? Think about it. How would those words land on you if you were there when Jesus walked in, if you'd been living the life that those guys have been living? Perhaps in that moment, their minds go back to the night that they were out at sea with Jesus and they're on the boat and the huge storm comes and they're terrified and Jesus stands up and he says, peace be still. And the storm stops immediately. When he walks in and says, peace be with you, maybe they go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. It should have been a reminder when Jesus says, peace be with you, it should have jolted their minds and hearts to remember that wherever Jesus is present, peace is present. You know that, right? But they're afraid, locked behind a door. Potentially afraid because they don't know what to anticipate from the one that they've abandoned that just walked in. They had turned their backs on him, yeah? They had denied him, right? You know the story. I think they would have every reason to believe the relationship with the one who just walked in the room is a broken relationship. But the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. And in that moment, they deserve everything that they are thinking, no matter what it is they're thinking. If they're thinking about shame and condemnation and judgment, all that's deserved. I think they know that. Verse 20 says, when he had said this, peace be with you, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side. He said, look guys, everything you heard me say, everything you saw me do, it's all true. All the promises of God are true because all of them find their yes in me. That's what's happening in this moment. Like, did they recall Isaiah 53? Like, they would have all known Isaiah 53. When Jesus walks in and shows them his hands and his side, do they remember Isaiah 53? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It was one who men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, here it is, brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus walks in and goes, peace be with you. Look at my hands, look at my side. I am the one that Isaiah pointed to, guys. I bore your grief. I carried your sorrow. I was pierced for your transgressions, all of them. I was crushed for your iniquities and upon me was placed the chastisement that has brought you peace. Peace be with you. I'm the risen Jesus. I don't know what your fear or your anxiousness is, but I'm telling you, Jesus speaks to it. There he is, unannounced, uninvited. He comes and he stands among them. He speaks into their fear, shows them the distinct nature of his resurrected body. And in this moment, I think something profound happens. It's not just about being afraid anymore. There's a trust here. 
There's a gladness is the word that she used. I love that word. They were glad. It's Jesus. But they're going to leave. Like they were in this room with the door locked. They're going to you continue to read as this story continues to unfold. They're now going to be sent out on mission. Verse 21 says, peace be with you as the father sent me. I'm sending you. And they're gonna possess God's power to accomplish the purpose because Jesus says, I give you my spirit. You're empowered for my mission. So go and glorify me and it worked. How do I know it worked? We're here celebrating this. Can I practically encourage you with a couple of things? Every single anxiety, every fear that consumes you, and I know some of you in the room have a lot of fear and anxiety. Even the ones that don't currently have a name or a face, the risen Jesus knows all about them and he sees where you are and he does understand. Psalm 56, verse eight, if you, are, uh, if, if you have a tendency to be fearful and anxious, I'd love for you to jot this one down and memorize it, it's real short, it's easy to memorize. David uh, writes this psalm and he's gripped by fear, stuff going on. And he says this, he says, you, O Lord, have kept count of my tossings. Isn't that a, that's a good psalm if you have some fear and anxiousness in your life. You, O Lord, have kept count of my tossings. He is not far off, he is not distant, he is not removed from your tossing, no matter what your tossing is. The thing that is keeping you up at night currently, finances, all the stress of this present season, the unknowns that you cannot control. He sees you, he understands you. Every tossing, even the tossings that you cannot name, he counts them. He's able to meet you where you are. Who is? The resurrected Jesus is. True peace is the ever abiding presence of God. You see what peace is for these disciples? Their fear is replaced with peace at the moment they become aware that Christ is present among them. That's where peace is found. In Jesus, you can't buy peace. You can't have it shipped from Amazon. You won't find it in the prescription you're currently abusing. or another drink after another hard day because you just need to take the edge off. You won't find it in your husband, you won't find it in your wife, you won't find it in your child, no matter how much you keep projecting your wishes and desires on those you love to validate you, to make you feel better about a past that has disappointed you and let you down. You can't work for it, you can't earn it, and I don't care if they change your title or give you more money, you won't find it there. And from what I understand from a lot of other people, you won't even find it in retirement. Listen, peace always begins and ends with God on our behalf. Peace with God, there is no peace apart from the risen Christ. That's the reason this is such incredible news. Through his life and death and resurrection, he has satisfied the wrath of God towards our sin and he has made peace with God. And that is received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And listen, listen. Once we are at peace with God, then we have the peace of God. That's how it works because he's the prince of peace. 
And that should consume our heart and rule over our minds. And it does get worked out in our lives by the spirit over the entirety of our life. The remedy for your fear and anxiety is one dimensional. It's God himself. You won't find it anywhere else. It's not the favorable outcome. It's him. It's not having all the answers to our deepest questions. It's him. It's not the removal of the difficulty. It's him in the midst of the difficulty. It's not comfort. It's not ease. It's not a worry-free life. It's him. So please let this resurrection day remind you again that your anxieties and your fears, they don't have the final word. Jesus had already said this to these guys before he died and he came walking out of the tomb. Earlier in John, he had already said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives peace. That's not peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's almost like everything Jesus had been saying, he comes walking out of the tomb and said, told you so. Just making good on my promises. Because they find their yes in me. Interestingly enough, all the disciples were there that day except for one guy. He wasn't there. His name's Thomas. Let's read that really quick. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, uh, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand in his side, I'm not gonna believe you. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Doors are locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Sounds familiar? And then he said to Thomas, as Thomas was there, put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believed. So, Verse 25, the disciples tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And the, and the, the verb used here indicates that they, that they kept telling him, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas is like, I don't believe you. And I'm not gonna believe you unless I see with my own eyes the marks of the nails in his hand. And not only do I need to see the marks, I need to touch them. And some of you know that this response would lead Thomas on down the line of getting the nickname Doubting Thomas. But I don't wanna be too hard on him today. There's a couple of things that I wanna point out about him. Thomas was a disciple of Jesus, right? Yeah. Walked with him, talked with him, loved by him, observed the miracles, heard the encouragement, had his feet washed by Jesus, yet he doubted. When everything Jesus said would happen actually happened, because Jesus had been telling him it was gonna happen. When, his, when the buddies say, it happened, he says, I don't believe you. So again, I don't know where this finds you today. There's a lot of you here. If you're sitting here today, maybe you're sitting at home today, you're watching online, or maybe you're listening to this at some other point in time when you're riding down the road, I don't know. If no matter where you are today, if you struggle with believing that Jesus is who he said he was, would do what he said he would do, will do what he said he was gonna do, then I wanna let you know that what you're thinking and processing and wrestling with is not abnormal. You're not the first person to have deep questions. It's not necessarily unique to you. Your situation might be unique. And at the same time, I wanna let you know that Jesus wants to speak to it. 
what you're thinking and what you're processing, what you're wrestling with in regards to your doubts. How do I know that? Because I see how he walks with and speaks with Thomas right here. Verse 26 tells us that Jesus shows back up. All the disciples are there this time. Thomas is there. He goes, hey, Thomas, want to place your fingers in my wounds? He says three words. These words, do not believe, uh, disbelieve, but believe. And that kind, like, I don't, don't let it be lost on you that Jesus would have this conversation with someone who wasn't buying into it. And that kind and gracious, like this should give you a picture of who Jesus is. He's kind, he's gracious, but he doesn't let it, he like, that doesn't mean that he lets him live in his doubt. He doesn't just chalk it up to Thomas's personality or his disc profile or his Enneagram number. Or that maybe Thomas just had a tougher life than the other disciples, so obviously he's gonna doubt. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it down the, down the line sometime. He very clearly and strongly and lovingly says, hey Thomas, I'm here. Put your, uh, put your finger in my wounds. Do not disbelieve, believe. And what was Thomas's, his response is so great. Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. Not because he touched the wounds of Jesus, but because he saw Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus is the only one that can move any of us from our doubts to actually belief. So here's what I know, I conclude with this. I, I know that there are some of you here, you're listening today, and here's what you would say. You would say, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus. And I just wanna remind you today as a follower of Jesus, and if you go, I got some grief and sorrow, and I got some fear and anxiousness, and I got some doubts. Yeah, it's okay. People wrestle with things. I have, I do, you do. It's legitimate thoughts and emotions, but, but Jesus speaks to them. He is our joy in the midst of our sorrow. He is our peace in the midst of our fear. In him alone do we place our faith in the midst of our doubt. Not what other people are trying to peddle. And yes, the resurrection has implications for our future. We all have thought about that already today. But the resurrection has implications for the right now. And you see it in these interactions with Mary from sorrow to Rabbi to running and telling the disciples. With the disciples full of fear, locked behind a door, they will now, peace be with you, sending you out on mission. From the doubts of Thomas to the belief my Lord and my God, which interestingly enough is exactly how the gospel of John begins. Like this is the very beginning of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. <laughs> Keep doing it. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. Isn't that wild? At the very end, Thomas believes and proclaims what John had articulated at the start of the book. It's a great bookends. There also might be some of you here today and you would acknowledge that you don't know Jesus. It's probable that you've heard of him, you've even read about him, maybe you sat in a church service where he was talked about. Maybe you've never been interested in a real authentic relationship with him. I use the words I've been using a lot this morning. You would say, I don't follow Jesus with my life. But maybe today, maybe in the past walking in today, you've been contemplating whether or not you should let Jesus speak into your life. 
you've pondered following him, you've grown increasingly interested in who Jesus is. So I wanna encourage you to do something today. Um, I wanna encourage you to read the Gospel of John. Like if you're interested in knowing more about Jesus, who he is, what he teaches, how he made it possible for you to be in a relationship with the God of the universe, why what we're celebrating on this day is such a big deal to us. It means everything for those of us that actually follow Jesus. If you go, man, I got questions about that. I'm curious about that. I would love for you to get a Bible. We have Bibles for you. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, when you leave today out at guest services or at Next Steps, we could get you a copy of the scriptures absolutely free. You can take it with you. Would love for you to read the Gospel of John. And as you do, you're gonna come to the end of the Gospel of John. We've been hanging out some there today. And you're gonna be reading along and you're gonna read these words. It's gonna say the purpose of this book and then it's gonna have a couple of more verses in John 20. And these are the verses. I wanna read them over you right now. This is what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Isn't that interesting? This wasn't all written down simply to amaze you, even though it is amazing. This wasn't all captured just so you can know some more stuff, even though there is so much that we can know and continue to learn. The Gospel of John was written so that you who have questions, you're curious, you're inquisitive, maybe even skeptical, can find out about Jesus. And in doing so, reading it for yourself, come to a place of truly believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in your believing, that you would find life. Right, like that's even what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, he said, blessed are those who have not seen me, yet they believed. I don't know about your skepticism. I can't answer all the questions of your skepticism, possibly. I don't know, we can have a conversation. I don't know if you look around at this and you see people worshiping and doing what they do, and that's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a crutch for a hard life. I guess people need something like that. I think what you would find here in this community of grace is a whole lot of people who have, uh, if I could talk about it this way, they've run to the tomb for themselves and they found it empty and it changed everything. Can I say it that way to you? I wanna encourage you to go to the tomb for yourself. Pick up the Gospel of John, read through it. I didn't read it today, but the first few verses of John 20, we see John and Peter, they race to the tomb when Mary tells them it's empty. John repeatedly makes the point that he outran Peter, which is kind of funny. The Bible's funny in that way. But they both go in and they take a look and I would encourage you to read the gospel of John and take a look for yourself. Here's what I believe you'll find when you look. I think you'll find that the tomb is empty. And if that's true, well, that does change everything. For some of you in the room, this is what your spouse found that he or she has been praying that you would find for yourself that the tomb is empty. Hey kids, it's what many of your parents found 
that they have been praying every day of your life that you would find for yourself. Not because they found it empty, but you went and looked and you found it empty and you wanna follow Jesus. Flip that around. Some of you, your kids have walked with Jesus and followed Jesus and they have been praying, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, that you would go and you would look to see if Jesus is still in the tomb or not. He's not there. So some of your friends and coworkers have been praying for you. It's where their true hope is found. They desire that you find it for yourself because they see you trying anything and everything to satisfy you, to give your life meaning and purpose and they're heartbroken. They've encouraged you to believe for yourself. So go look, run there, see for yourself and you will discover, I believe, that only the resurrected Jesus moves us from sorrow to everlasting joy because we've been adopted into his family. Only the resurrected Jesus offers those of us full of fear and anxiousness peace. Peace be with you. All of the promises are yes in me. Only the resurrected Jesus says, bring your doubt, bring your skepticism. I'll meet you where you are and I will answer your questions. He's the only one. And that changes everything. Now, today, April of 2023, forevermore. Would you pray with me? I know some of you have been a part of Easter services in the past. And at the conclusion, different things have been offered to people. Walk an aisle, raise a hand. Today, the invitation is read the Gospel of John and have a conversation. Maybe with the person that you came with today. Hey, kids, you can ask your parents about following Jesus if they follow Jesus. Parents, you can ask your kids about following Jesus if they follow Jesus. You can ask your coworker, your friend that maybe you're here with today about following Jesus if they follow Jesus. Let them have a conversation with you. And if you sit here today and you go, I don't know anybody here. Well, I wanna let you know that out in the commons area at Next Steps, there are people there and they would love to have a conversation with you. I wanna know more about following Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday, that you are risen indeed and it alters and changes everything. Yes, our eternity, but yes, our right now. For my friends that are here today that are struggling with sorrow and grief, fear and anxiousness and doubt, would you speak to it as only you can speak to it because you do speak to it. For those that are here that have been maybe curious and amazed, a little bit intrigued, would you be so kind and gracious to allow them to move from that place to a place of actually believing, having faith in you and following you? And we will thank you for that. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.